Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach Tip of the Day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. Very pleased to, uh, to tell you about something that we've been working on for quite a while. We have interviewed over 600 advisors from a variety of disciplines, attorneys, accountants, business managers, uh, consultants, all kinds of different people. And we've archived all of that on the audio library at ExitCoachRadio.com. You'll find over 600 interviews uh, segregated by 35 different topics and topic file folders. So please go to ExitCoach Radio, look for the audio library, and and uh, start listening. Uh, listening to topics that you like to hear about. My first guest today is John Saberin, and John is with Tenant Guardian. Uh, know John very well. He's a great guy. Um, he's from Newport Beach area, and we're going to talk about uh, how your commercial real estate interests can affect your exit plan. So, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Bill. My pleasure, John. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started Tenant Guardian. Okay. Um, I'm a 25-year veteran of the commercial real estate industry. I've worked for C.B. Richard Ellis and a couple other firms over my tenure, and about two years ago, I started Tenant Guardian to focus exclusively on tenants and owner users. It seemed to be that was my primary client throughout my career anyway, and I was trying to get away from the conflicts of interest that are inherent at some of the larger firms. So we don't take listings. We only represent tenants, and we do it in a boutique nature. We're a small firm with four people. So what uh, is a typical size uh, of a transaction that you're looking for? What's in your sweet spot? You know, it's a good question. Um, we have a pretty wide range. We do a lot of deals where we're representing, you know, small professional firms, whether it be a law firm or a CPA firm, and they're, you know, in 2,000 square feet on a lease deal. And we'll represent, I mean, right now we're working on a transaction for Viking River Cruises. It's a corporate headquarters deal that's over 100,000 square feet. Um, a, a good um, representative transaction that we've recently closed was, a consulting a gig at first and turned into a brokerage assignment with Sunkist Growers where over about five years we did the strategic planning uh, to get the highest and best use uh, developed and in play by changing the real estate um, so they could sell 140,000 square foot headquarters, maximize the value, and then use that to buy a new corporate headquarters. Well, that's great. So you really add a lot of value as far as the thought process, maybe taking a big, a long-term picture uh, where uh, uh, a tenant may be just saying, I just need to get into a building now, and you are you can add a lot of value by giving them that, that perspective. Um, but, John, uh, we, we talk about uh, exit planning a lot and uh, how a lot of baby boomers are starting to say, okay, I know how I got into this business, but now I'm ready to start worrying about getting out. How does their commercial real estate interest affect their exit plan? Well, if if a company is, you know, if, if you have a, if you own your own real estate as a company, it can be a huge asset because if you're leasing space all the time, 
you're really not building up any equity. And and that makes sense for a lot of tenants that are, you know, they, their business size is changing and strategically they just don't want to own real estate. But if you're a larger company that has a lot of equipment in place and they, they know they're going to be in a place, you know, one location for a long time, they can use that, that time of, of owning the business instead of leasing and, you know, get a loan, pay off the building. And when they go to sell their business, they can keep their building sell their business and keep the cash flow coming in off the real estate in a, in a, you know, in a, a tax, you know, a, a good tax uh, environment where they can take advantage of depreciation uh, or, you know, further interest deductions. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wouldn't be, you know, so many times we see situations where business owners get to the time when they, they're ready to retire or transition their business and their building is actually worth more, than their business, uh, that happens oh, a lot, doesn't it? It happens a ton, of, a ton, and that's and it usually is when somebody's owned a building for a long time. And some of the things that they really need to to pay attention to, and, and unfortunately, I've seen it happen where people just they sell the building for for what the asset is. You know, let's say it's an industrial building and the rent is you know X. They put a cap rate on it and they sell it instead of really thinking about what is the underlying value of the real estate. And many times. You know these these buildings that are in an area that might be getting gentrified, and the highest and best use may no longer be uh, an industrial building. It might be a, a residential redevelopment or something like that, and that's where you can see some really big pops. Um, that wouldn't typically be a sale leaseback, obviously, because you're changing the use of the property. Um, but it's still a great way to take advantage of, of equity you've built over the years. So turning your your rents you're going to be paying any anyways into some future equity and potential cash flow can can be a great strategy and when when people come to you and say yeah well I just want to lease at this time uh that it, asking the right questions can really help you understand well maybe we should be looking towards a a lease with the option to buy right yeah, and you don't see too, too often, you don't really see the leased option to buy. We try to get that, but when people are leasing, they're usually leasing from somebody that is an investor that doesn't look to sell. Um, and, you know, they're they're in the business of leasing space, so to speak. Um, so typically you see people going in, they want to buy something, and they, they typically want to do that because they're going to put so much money into the building in the form of tenant improvements, or you know furniture and fixtures, and they need to amortize it over a long period of time, and that's when it really makes sense to buy instead of lease. Okay, it makes sense. Um, and when when someone's getting ready to sell a business, let's say in the next few years, and they do own a property, what are some of the best strategies they can they can employ um, thinking about that commercial real estate? Well, again, you know, thinking about what that highest and best use is going to be so you can plan for that. Uh, in the instance of Sunkist, they knew that they wanted to get out of the building, and but and they were in no hurry to do it. And so what we did over a number of years is they they didn't occupy the entire building. They only they, over time they had shrunk. They didn't need they only needed about fifty thousand feet. So we had ten other tenants in the building. And so what we did is those tenants were rolling over. We either replaced them or renewed those leases, and we made sure that all the lease expirations lined up with the time they wanted to sell. We made sure none of those tenants had any um, options to renew so that they could actually reclaim the building and get those tenants out of the building. And in that instance, we were able to position it as a redevelopment, and we were able to sell the building for about almost $40 million 
because of the land, because now we could get out the building to tear it down and redevelop the site as a, basically a mixed-use development. Now, had we not done that, had we not thought about it many years in advance and lined up those lease expirations and, and those tenants had options, the new developer that was going to sell it really had to look at it as an office building, and it was only worth $20 million looking at it that way. So we were able to double the value of the property by thinking a little bit out of the box and planning many years in, in, in advance. Well, that's very brilliant to be able to look forward to that, understand when your event may happen, and make sure that everything's going to line up properly at that time so there's no headaches or or you lose a great opportunity like they, they had. And that's fantastic. Yeah, it helps to have a little luck and have the, the market uh, come to you. But that's also, you know, having a long-term view is really important because, as you know, real estate and the stock market, they both cycle. And real estate has some really big highs and lows. And so as we were, you know, in the lows, we were planning for, you know, we, we knew it was going to come back. And so we planned for that. And luckily, we hit the time frame correctly. Mm-hmm. That's great. Now, what if someone's uh, considering... Uh, a sale and lease back, uh, what are some of the things that they should be thinking about in preparation for that? So we see a lot of sale lease backs. Um, you know, some people are doing it for a lot of different reasons, but if you're doing it for retirement, one of the things that's really important is to make sure that you have separated that asset early on so you have a low tax basis. Because if you've kept it in the company, it's owned by the company, and you have to take you have to like purchase it from the company, you could end up with a high tax basis. So you want to really work with your, your CPAs and your attorneys to make sure that you own that building in a family trust or something. And you're, you're really leasing it to the company already. And so when you sell the business, that new business owner is now leasing back from you. So from a tax perspective, you want to make sure you, you set up that entity in the correct way. And you, and you usually have to do it, you know, well before you're actually selling the business. So again, taking that long-term view and thinking about, well, let's let's think about your your real estate exit strategy down the road and and really position ourselves for it because depending on what what tactic you're going to take or what exit you're going to take, um, the strategies could be very different, right? Oh, absolutely. And the other thing that I always tell people if they're doing a sale lease back, especially for for a retirement situation, is to make sure that the entity you're selling your business to has good credit and has the wherewithal to pay your rent because the lease is worthless if you have a company that is not going to make it. So having a healthy company that you're selling and making sure the assets of that company are tied to, you know, basically guaranteeing the lease is, a, is very important. So the, the structure that you're, you're, if you're selling the business to somebody, you want to make sure that all of the assets in that company remain on the hook uh, or potentially you might even, be getting a personal guarantee or something like that to make sure the credit is good and your and that the income stream is you know, guaranteed. All great tips, uh, John. Tell us a, a example of a client situation where you helped someone and uh, what was the what was their need and what was the outcome after you worked with them. I mean, the Sunkist one was probably one of the larger ones I've done, uh, but I've also worked with small companies that were selling small uh, industrial buildings that they've just owned over a long period of time. Um, I worked with a, a company, probably shouldn't say their name, um, up in Burbank, and they made a lot of uh, high-tech uh, equipment for 
for the industry up there in Burbank for the entertainment industry. And mm-hmm. he wanted to sell. And he had some family issues. Uh, he was not real sure he wasn't going to get divorced. Uh, he wanted to make sure that – and he had ch- children that worked in the business. And so he had to, again, set up that the right entity to own the building. Because the building was – his business was it, – it was a great business. He, he wanted to sell it, but it was not going to be as valuable without the real estate. Um, that real estate was really, again, like we talked about earlier, it was a big chunk of the value of that business. So we had to spend a lot of time, and it was I felt more like a psychiatrist in that one because we had to deal with a lot <laughs> of family issues. How how was that entity going to be set up? Who owned that entity? Um, and there had we had to basically set up some you know some some pods of ownership in there. And actually, unfortunately. It did make a divorce happen, uh, but they were able to get it done early, and both parties in the marriage were protected, and then they sold the business on a sale lease back, and then the income was then being divided. So that's kind of some of the things you have to think about, too, and it was it was a strange situation, but you know at least they planned for it because it would have been a lot uglier had they not. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, those uh, sometimes those family issues can be really ugly, and they they can be really touchy. So, uh, good thing you you had the skills to negotiate through that one. It sounds like a very touchy situation. Tell me a little bit about uh, if you were uh, if you're working with someone, what's something that that you bring up a lot that people don't seem to really know, or or at least give us some tips, or ideas, or precautions. Um, you know, one of the things that is, is really the most, some of the most prevalent problems I see in the business, especially on a sale lease back or even just a regular office lease, that, and we do a lot of that as well, is just the detail in the documents. You know, people, you know, they trust a lot, you know, a lot of times we play, place false trust in somebody that we're doing a transaction with. And, you know, I'm all about trust but verify. And every little detail of a lease or a purchase contract is so important. And if you're not well represented by a broker that knows what they're doing and you don't have a good attorney in tow to make sure that every aspect of that transaction is covered and, and identified and, and thoughtfully put together, it can really come back to bite you. Um, whether it be you know an operating expense language on a pass-through in a lease, uh, whether it be some certain conditions in a purchase and sale agreement. Um, you know, some, there's some very professional... Uh, buyers and sellers out there that they, they put some stingers and zingers in these leases and sale leasebacks that can really, you know, take away value if they're not, uh, if they're not covered carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really good to know. I mean, that you, you, ne- you, a lot of people look at these documents, they think they're standard clauses, standard documents. Do you see a lot of that where attorneys will, will review a document and say, no way. What percentage of time do you think um, lease documents get modified? Oh boy! Uh, in my world, you know, in the larger transactions, you know, I, it's not rare to see a hundred thousand dollars in legal fees on a transaction if it's a large transaction, um, and it's usually heavily justified. Um, we actually have an attorney that we work with, and it, I actually pay for it out of my fees to do all of the proposal work up front. And you know, I feel like an attorney half the time, but I like having him review all our documents. He reviews leases sure. and purchase and sale agreements. And we do that before we even hand it to the client's attorney so we can kind of 
show them where the issues are, where we're uncomfortable, where we might need some really heavy lawyering, lawyering and some language mm-hmm. adjustment. Um, and it is definitely, uh, it's definitely an area where people spend a lot of money and the, and when they don't, I mean, I've seen a lot of tenants just say, you know, I, I'm just going to sign it the way it is. And it, it just makes me cringe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's, uh, could be very, um, difficult down the road to, to change that. It's, it's the Mr. Goodrinch, right? You'd pay me now or pay me later kind of a situation in that, in that kind of a deal. Yeah, and what I always remind people is that, you know, when you're negotiating with somebody on one side of a deal, whether you're a tenant or a, a seller, you are, you're dealing with somebody that you may trust. It may be a family member. It may be a landlord you've had for a long time. But parties to transactions change, especially if you're leasing. And so you could lease from the nicest landlord in the world, and then, he sends, then he'll sell that building, and it happens to be somebody that's just a predator, and they will look to do a lot of harmful pass-throughs and take advantage of their tenants, lower services. And I've seen it many times over my career, and it can put tenants out of business. That's a very, very good point. That's that's all that's left behind sometimes in a relationship is what the document says, and people forget that. They they assume that the the personal relationship they may have with the the person that's leasing them the building or or selling them was going to continue on forever. And when that person when that relationship goes away for whatever reason, you're just left with that document. Exactly. It's I mean you you don't get what you uh, deserve. You get what you negotiate, right? <laughs> yeah. Well. You know, this, these are great tips, great information, John. How do our uh, listeners best get in touch with you? Uh, we have a website, tenantguardian.com, and uh, that's probably the best place. We've got our email addresses there. We've got our phone numbers. We've got a blog that talk about issues, and uh, we welcome uh, your, your listeners to visit us. Now, you're located in Newport Beach, California, so are you primarily dealing with issues in Southern California? And what's your breath, um, I we, guess? So, we, I, believe it or not, I've done transactions on pretty much every continent on the globe. Primarily, we do work in Southern California. There's no doubt about that. Um, but we also represent some tenants where we take them across the country. Um, we have a logistics company. We do all their office leasing from here up to New York. Uh, we're, we're pretty busy with that. Um, we will work with other brokers in other markets, but we run them through our, our legal filter. We run all the financial analysis from them. Basically, we do the transaction management here. And that way, if a tenant has multiple locations, they get to see the same type of transaction every time, even though it's a different market. They get to see the metrics and the financial analysis, and they get used to it and it makes it easier for them to, to make decisions. Good to know. So people can get in touch with you from, from anywhere just to talk at least and, and figure out if it makes sense to work with you. Uh, John Saborn, a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us today, and thanks for all the great information. Uh, I'd love to have you back some other time. We can go deeper into some other topics, but uh, I look forward to the next time we speak, John. Thanks. Me too. Thank you so much, Bill. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this, so please stay with us. Business owners, if you came back from lunch and there was a resignation letter on your desk, which employee would you really, really not want it to be from? What are you doing to prevent this from happening? 
At Exit and Retirement Strategies, we design plans that attract, motivate, and retain key employees. For a free consultation, call Bill Black, the Exit Coach, at 866-370-3774. Call today. Does thinking about what will happen to your business if you're gone keep you awake at night? Will you get the price you need from your business to carry you through retirement? The BEI Network of Exit Planning Professionals is the world's leading advisor network with the power to help business owners transition out of business on their own timeline and terms. Ask your most trusted advisor to create a BEI plan for you or visit us at ExitPlanning.com. That's ExitPlanning.com. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 